Amen. Now, we got we to gotta amen a lot tonight. We got to clap a little bit. I don't care if I'm preaching good or not. Just clap every once in a while, and it'll just sound like it's going good because we don't want Sister Benson to fall asleep. She told me, she said, if you don't get a shouting tonight, she said, I may fall asleep. So, I'm trying to get you some help, Sister Benson, so we can, we can make this happen tonight. Uh, we're going to be looking at the book of Matthew, chapter 28. And we're going to begin reading at the verse 16. And when I say that, all you Bible scholars, first thing you know exactly what I'm about to preach. I felt like God was dealing with me uh, today about this. I prayed and studied Monday and Tuesday and looking for... I I just tell you, as as a new pastor, I'm learning how to pray and study for sermons. Okay? How many has ever prayed and studied for a sermon that's not a pastor in here? Okay, it's different because you have to pray and you study the word for yourself, for your soul. And and I do that. But then I have to pray and study for the message, the the, the rhema word, what God wants to speak to this congregation. He knew exactly who was going to be here tonight. Lord, he knew you was going to be here tonight. Exactly. And what I want to do is speak the word that God wants us to hear tonight. What is this? January 29th. Tonight. This word is what I felt today when I was praying and studying. This is what was laid upon my heart, and I want to I preach it to you tonight. Matthew 28, verse 16. Would you stand for the reading of the word? It says, Then the eleven disciples went away to Galilee and to the mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye, therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Dad, would you pray for me? Be seated. We've been talking all year about 2020 vision. And I mentioned this Sunday about our Great Commission. And how many know that we have a Great Commission? How many know it's not just in the Word of God? I mean, yes, it's here in Matthew. We understand what it is. We see what it is. We just read it. I mean, in my Bibles, it literally says Great Commission, and then it follows with these five verses. But do you understand our responsibility? to this commitment of this commission. Because the deeper and the more you look at it and pray about it, you're just like, wow, there's so much more here than, than what you just, I don't know, sometimes I hear things and it just seems like it stays in the shallow part. But there's so much deeper things that's here, and I, I just want to go into them a little bit tonight. The Great Commission, it is our vision. I told you Sunday here at the church, that is our vision, is the Great Commission. If that's not your church's vision, you probably need to find another church. 
That's what our vision should be. And I know I said Sunday, I know the vision takes different ways. One of our visions right now is for our children's church. I understand that. I'm just talking about the vision for this church, for this season right now, is the Great Commission. I believe God is calling us to deeper waters. I believe God is asking us to do something that has never been done before right here in Greenbrier. I thank God for the visionaries that built this building. The visionaries that started right over here in a mobile home. Sister Wilson, you probably remember this. And then went to that building. And then they built the fellowship hall. And then they, they built this building. Somewhere along the line, they built the ranger building. I'm not sure where that happened. But there's visionaries that seen, seen what God wanted to do. And, and I'm so thankful for that. But it hasn't stopped. If we stopped right here, we're failing God. We're failing God. God didn't intend for us to run a church of 50, 100, 200. He says, keep winning them. The Great Commission has not stopped because he's not returned. He's not returned. So we still have a responsibility to this commission. Our superintendent, Brother Larry Moore, said this. The more I talk to people about the Lord, the more certain I become that the people are not nearly as gospel uh, this is going to be a fun word for me, Peyton. This is one I always spell out, and today I didn't spell it out. So, and, and just to let you know, every time I mispronounce a word, he's up there giggling at me. So I just let, let, me, let me start that over because I, I got stopped there. Uh, because this is, this is a funny word. Anyway, the more I talk to people about the Lord, the more certain I become that the people are not nearly as gospel impenetrable as they are gospel ignorant. They're not nearly as gospel irreverent, irreverent as they are gospel illiterate. They're not nearly as gospel galled as they are gospel green. They're not nearly as gospel hardened as they are gospel hidden. And what he's speaking here is the Great Commission is not going forth. They're not hearing the gospel. And so many people want to say, well, you know, people, people have this. They don't, they don't want the Lord. They don't want this. There's so many of them that don't know the gospel. They don't know the, com the Great Commission. They've never been taught. They've never been, uh, it hasn't been presented to them. 2 Corinthians 4 and 3 says, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. We cannot let our light go out. The old song, the, the kids sung, I used to pull the ponytails of the girls in front of me while we sing it. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. We've got to be the light. Hide it on, under a bush? Oh, no. I'm going to let it shine. The other day, and, and I've told you this story before about the boys. Every Christmas, they buy me these gifts that I will never wear. Like Superman, Batman, all these other shirts. This year, they bought me one that I've been wearing. And it just simply says, you need Jesus. I walked into the gym the other day wearing it. You need Jesus. I don't, if you're a Christian, that shouldn't offend you at all. If you're not a Christian, it probably offends you. But you need Jesus. I want to let my light shine no matter where we're going, whether it's through a shirt, whether it's through my life, and it should be through all of these things. We need to pray, oh, Lord, please let our lives be living letters of your gospel with, with as few typos as possible. Amen. 2 Corinthians 3 and 2 says... Ye are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read of all men. People should be able to look at our lives and realize there's something different about him. Brother Angel, there's something different about that man. He's a Christian. 
And I've told you these stories before over and over and over. I've had people, altercations, where they come up and they're mad about something at the ball field. They'll come up to me start talking, and I'll give them a soft answer, which that's not what I want to give them, but I give them the soft answer, which turns away wrath. And then they look at me, and they'll ask me the question, there's something different about you. It's the love of Jesus. It's, it's Jesus living in my heart. We need to be different. We need to be set apart. We need to be sanctified for his service so we can do the Great Commission. You're just going to have to bear with me tonight because I am absolutely parched. I don't like doing that, but I am. can't hardly talk. Hallelujah. The Lord has a significant vision for you as an individual and for me. However, every true vision from God will require the, co- the cooperation of the body of Christ to fulfill that vision. You'll never fulfill your vision for God if you don't cooperate with the body of Christ and the Holy Spirit. You'll never do it. Yes, you and I do need the community of believers. We need church. We need church. We need believers to fulfill our vision of significance. We need the church. And if you're not already involved, can I just tell you tonight? Get involved. Get involved in your church. Get involved in your church. It's easy to determine whether, excuse me, it's easy to determine when something is on fire. It ignites other things. My brother one time decided to burn trash at our property up on Leblong. We have an above ground pool, and back in them days, we were the Green Acres. We had an RV bus, we had a pole with electricity and a phone on it. If you don't know Green Acres, you need to watch it because then you'll understand what I'm saying. But we had a swimming pool. Didn't have a house. We had a swimming pool, above ground swimming pool. He went to burning trash behind the, the swimming pool, and he ended up catching the whole field on fire. And at that time, there was nothing out there, three acres of nothing but grass to be burned. And then uh, it started getting into the neighbor's yard, and we realized real quick we was not controlling this fire. And so now he's diving into the swimming pool, the five-gallon buckets, trying to put it out. And he said, help me. I said, No. I said, you're too late. That's going. But fire, when it's burning, is going to ignite something else. At the end of that story, we didn't burn down the neighborhood. The fire department came out and put it out. But fire, fire, hallelujah. Fire is going to catch, ignite something else. Any fire that does not spread will eventually go out. Amen. A Pentecostal church without evangelism is a contradiction in terms, just like a fire that does not burn is in contradiction. If we're going to be the kind of church that God has called us to be in 2020, then we have to acquire a burning passion to fulfill the Great Commission. I believe there are several aspects of this scripture we just wrote, uh, read, and I just want to go through a couple of these with you tonight. I'm not going not gonna to be here long. And... Uh, Just bear with me here. The first thing I want us to look at in our text is what they said. When they seen Jesus, they worshiped him. They worshiped him. That should be very significant for us because when we come in here and we have what we are labeling praise and worship, and we come in here and they'll sing however many songs the band will play on Sundays and and, and everything. It's only worship if it's coming from here. Just because they're playing music and singing doesn't mean it's worship. 
I'm glad I'm getting some amens on that. That's helping me out already. The scripture tells us that they worshiped him. Now, some of you may be thinking, wait a minute, Pastor, this isn't the great commission we're talking about. We're talking about singing. Again, just singing is not worship unto the Lord. Singing can be. Singing can be. But just because we're singing a song doesn't mean we're worshiping. I believe this, included, uh, this was included purposefully into these scriptures to show us how fulfilling the Great Commission is an act of worship. It's an act of worship. And I want to tell you that worship is more than just singing songs. As we begin to look at our text tonight, we'll see that the Great Commission begins with worship. Matthew begins the final section of this gospel by telling us, Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Uh, and you notice there's 11 disciples because Judas was gone at this point, and they went to Galilee to meet Jesus. Keener commentary said, It seems appropriate that the Lord told them to meet him on a mountain. God often revealed himself on mountains in biblical tradition, especially in the narratives of Moses. And so we see that here. Now let's look at what happened once they got, got there to the mountain. Matthew says, When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some of them doubted. Have you ever wondered about that? Some of them doubted. I have. I read the scripture sometimes. I'm like, I need a deeper meaning of that, God. What, what were they doubting? What were they doubting? I'll tell you what I believe. I believe that they, maybe he wasn't quite as close to them, and they couldn't quite tell just yet who he was. I don't think this was doubting Jesus. I think it was doubting if that was him or not. How many remember when they was out in the boat, and they thought they were seeing a ghost? And it was Jesus. For the first time in Matthew's gospel, the disciples encountered the risen Jesus. And apparently the response to, to it is worshiping him. All along, Jesus had been leading them to understand his true identity as the son of God. In fact, his earthly ministry, in his earthly ministry, that was difficult for them to comprehend. They couldn't, couldn't picture this. This is the Son of God. He, this is Jesus. I'm touching him in the flesh. It, it's hard to comprehend this is the Son of God. Uh, but now he's been raised, and, and here he is, which is the declaration that he is indeed the Son of God. And they have seen the risen Savior even prior to this in Jerusalem. They, Jesus made several appearances there. I believe that's why they were prepared when they did finally recognize him to worship him. They realized this is the risen Savior. We need to worship him. When the disciples saw Jesus, they worshiped him. However, you'll notice that some of them doubted. Uh, also, notice that both the believers and the doubters received the commission and the promise. He didn't say, hey, those that you believe, hey, watch this. Uh, here's what I'm going to tell you. All of them. He was speaking to all of them. So they all got the same message. And I want to talk just a, just a minute here about what is worship. True biblical worship so satisfies our total personality that we don't have to shop around for man-made substitutes. Better say amen or Sister Benson going to fall asleep. I'm just telling you. Man-made substitutes. That's what the church world has went to. We have to have lights. We have to have smoke. We have to have this. We have to have that. It has to be just so-so or we can't worship. If we don't have the screens, we can't worship. Have you noticed that? That's the way it seems it's gone. It's got to be a certain way. 
I'm old enough to remember when they'd get a flat top and stand up here and sing and play and you still felt the Holy Ghost and you was able to enter into praise and worship without a band and smoke and uh, fog machine, all that kind of stuff. Uh, William Temple expressed this definition of worship. For worship is the submission of all our nature to God. It is the quickening, quickening of conscience by his holiness, the nourishment of mind with his truth, the purifying of imagination by his beauty, the opening of the heart to his love, the surrender of will to his purpose, and all of this gathered up in adoration. Worship. We need to worship God in spirit and in truth. When you start giving your whole heart to God, when you really start opening up to God, you don't care who's sitting by you. You don't care who's looking at you. You don't have to look around to see if anybody else has their hands raised. You just worship. You, just, you, you put it out of your mind. That's why I do shut my eyes, because I don't want to see what people are thinking of me. They may be over laughing and poking fun at me, giggling at me. Worshiping in spirit and in truth. The most selfless emotion of which our nature is capable, and therefore the chief remedy for that self-centeredness, which is our original sin and the source of all actual sin. It's the most selfless emotion, worship unto God. Strong said that worship means meaning to kiss, like a dog licking his master's hand, or to fawn or to crouch, or to prostrate oneself in homage, do reverence to or adore. Amen? One preacher said, worship means giving ourselves over to the lordship of Jesus. Hallelujah. First Chronicles 16 and 29 says, Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Hallelujah. Worship God for who he is. Worship God for who he is. I believe worship means giving God the glory he deserves. Does worship mean singing his praises? Yes, it does. Does worship mean giving him control of our finances? Yes, it does. Does worship mean giving him control of our desires? Yes, it does. Does worship mean doing things that make us uncomfortable? Yes, it does. I heard somebody say today, this is getting me out of my comfort zone. Does worship mean telling people about Jesus? Absolutely. Absolutely. The Great Commission, we have to go and tell about Jesus. Worship should cause us to spring into action. When we worship God, we should have our heartfelt desire to jump up and start doing the work. When you look outside these four walls and you see the people that's in their sin, dying in their sin, this is not us condemning them. It's not us being mean and just looking at, oh, look at that poor sinner. We need to have a love and a compassion like Jesus did to go in to all the world and spread the good news to receive them into the kingdom. Acts 13, 2 said, and they as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, there's fasted, by the way, the Holy, uh, the Holy Ghost said, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. We're talking about two evangelists right here. We're, they're taking off. They're going to share the good news right there. If we're truly worshiping the Lord, it should, be, should inspire us to do his work. If we're truly Worshiping the Lord, it should inspire us to do His work. If we're truly worshiping the Lord, it should inspire us to, do, uh, to go out and to share the good news with people. If we're truly doing the work of the Lord, it should create in us a passion to reach out to the lost. Over and over and over, you can go back and forth, back to Walmart, and I can see so many people just like, 
if you go in your flesh, you just want to push everybody down and keep walking. But if you go in the spirit, you start seeing people differently. The Great Commission is about worship. One of the things it's about is about worship, but it's also about obedience. We hate the word obedience. My boys growing up always hated the word obedience because they knew they had to mind. Make disciples is what Jesus is telling us. Charles Finley uh, once said, revival is nothing more than a new obedience towards God. We need a new obedience towards God. If we haven't been obeying him in everything through the word, through his commandments, we need a new obedience to God. Absolutely. Revival should bring at least two things. Make us alive in Christ with a new passion for God and a renewed passion to reach out to unbelievers. If we don't have that passion for unbelievers, we're not reaching out to somebody. We're not doing the Great Commission. We're, we're not having the right heart to do the Great Commission. But what is this command? First of all, we need to understand how Jesus sets this up. Matthew tells us Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given, uh, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. All authority, Jesus is right there telling me, I'm in control. I have all authority over heaven and earth. How would you like to have that kind of control? I have trouble controlling what we're eating every night. I ask for spaghetti, we get something else. I ask for tacos, we have something else. All authority in heaven and earth has been given. Notice that Jesus said that all authority, power, wow, and might had been given by God to him. All authority, the ability, the power, the right to do something, it was all in Jesus. Daniel 7 and 14 says, And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. Hallelujah. All power is given to Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now look at what Jesus says next. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The commission in verse 19 is the direct result of Jesus' position in verse 18. Do you want me to say it again? The commission in verse 19, verse 19 says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. That commission in verse 19 is a direct result of Jesus' position in verse 18. What's verse 18 say? And Jesus came and them spake and saying to them, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. He has the right to tell them where to go, what to do, because he has all power. All power. I love it when somebody gives me the power to go do something. To go, to go hey, I don't care if it's when I was a kid, mom says go tell the kids to do something. I was bossy as I could be, man. I went boldly telling everybody, do this, do that. Jesus gave them the power. He told them to go, give them a commission to go because he had the power and he wanted them to do like he was doing. He's saying, because I have been given all authority, go and make disciples. They had preached before, but that was only to the Jewish community. Now they were to take the gospel to everywhere, although it took them a while to figure that part out, but they did it. Some people misunderstand the great command of the great commission. Many think that uh, the imperative here is to go, 
But it's really not. The imperative here, it's to make disciples. To make disciples. The going is a foregone conclusion. You got, you're going to go, but that's, that's not the thing. Everybody's like, go, go. And I, I even know some mottos that say go. That's not the big thing. It's making disciples. It's making disciples. You've got to go to make disciples. If you're sitting in here and we're already disciples, you have to go out. What Jesus is actually saying here is, as you are going, make disciples. This means more than just bringing people to a place of decision for Christ. This means staying with them. I've said this over and over and over. We have people come in and out of our churches. They get saved. They have an experience right here at these altars. They get up, and it's like we give them a pat on the back. Now you got Jesus. Go get them, tiger. Making disciples means we have to deal with them. It means we have to teach them. We have to guide them, inspire them to a closer relationship with Jesus. Help them study through the word. Check on them. Check on them daily. That's what the disciples, you think about the disciples and what they were doing. They were with Jesus every day. If Jesus is your teacher and he's with you every day, they're eating together, they're sleeping together, they're walking together, they're doing everything together. And now he's telling us to go make disciples. What's he expect out of us? We'll get them saved and send them out and tell them we'll, be, we'll see them again Sunday. We'll see them again Wednesday. Hey, we're all guilty. Don't, don't be quiet on me now. We're all guilty of this. We're all guilty of this. Jesus spent a great deal of time guiding and instructing the disciples for their growth. Now he's sending them to do the same in this great commission. As a person responds to the invitation to come, to come out, what the word says, go into all nations, to come out of the nations to start life as a disciple, he or she begins the life of discipleship through baptism and obedience to Jesus' teaching. He commands us to be saved. He, then he commands us to be baptized. Baptism is the, initi- uh, the initiation of the disciple. And it's the public declaration that, to the world that you now belong to Jesus. We must also understand that all-encompassing nature of the Great Commission right here. The object of making disciples is all the nations. The good news needs to be spread all over. People of every nation are to receive the opportunity to become Jesus' disciples. To obey Jesus' commission may require some to leave homeland and go to other parts of the world. But the nature of the entire commission requires all believers to be involved with it. How many believers do we have in here tonight? By the raising of the hand, you're, you're a believer. You're blood washed. You've been saved. All right. I'm talking to the right crowd. Not just missionaries. Not just pastors. Not just preachers. Not just teachers. Not just evangelists. It's every believer's job to spread this good news. You could read your, your own name in this story tonight. And just as he's speaking to them, he's speaking to you. He's speaking to me. Are we doing what he's told us to do? Horton said in his commentary, the completion of the commission is not simply evangelism. Rather, it means calling unbelievers to be converted and embark on the process of being transformed into the image of Jesus in lifelong discipleship. It's a lifelong process. 
Some people, just like I said, we, we want people to get saved. We want them to have a good life. We want them to have a relationship with Jesus. But what are we doing to, to make that culture happen for them? How are we helping them in that way? Well, you know, I can't go live with them. You know, I can't have them come live with me. That may be so, but well, we, have, we all have a cell phone in our pocket. We can write letters. We can call people. We can go by and see people. We can keep checking on people. I know it's not popular. John Piper said, there are three possibilities with the Great Commission. You can go, you can send, or you can be disobedient. That's some tough words. That's some tough words. You can go, you can send, or you can be disobedient. Ignoring the cause is not a Christian option. Ignoring this scripture. That's a nice scripture that was great for the disciples, but Jesus didn't really mean me. You know, God, I don't have them kind of talents. You know, these guys have already seen a lot. They've already been through things. They, they walk with you, man. They, Jesus, they walk with you, so if they walk with you, they, they, they got this. This is a message to us tonight, to TFT, to go teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Telling people about Jesus and making disciples is not an option. First Samuel 15, 22, and Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Can I interpret that for you? Does the Lord really care so much about burnt offerings as much as he wants obedience? That's what he's saying right there. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of the rams. For rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft. Ouch. That's a tough one. That's a tough one. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. This, this is some tough word right here. This is some tough chewing right here. Because thou has rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected thee from being king. This is a message to King Saul. But the, the, the message is still the same. He's talking about disobedience. Disobedience is still the same as it was when this book was wrote and what it is today. Disobedience is still the result. For rebellion is as of sin of witchcraft. Well, I'm not a witch. I'm not a warlock. If you're rebellion, rebelling, that's exactly what you are. That's what God considers you. You're just like you. Your stubbornness is in iniquity and idolatry. Well, I'm not worshiping somebody else. Yeah, you do. When you're not obeying God, you're obeying flesh. And now you're sitting on the throne instead of God. The Great Commission to make disciples applies to anyone who calls himself a Christian. And if you're not making a conscious and a deliberate attempt to make disciples, you are in rebellion to God. There I said it. Drew said it. Be mad at me. Cards and letters, just send them in. Post Office Box 834, Greenbrier, you can get me. It's still the truth. It's still the truth. When I stand before God, I can tell God I spoke the truth. According to this verse, if you're in rebellion against God, it's as bad as participating in witchcraft or worshiping some idol. God has commanded us to make disciples, and it's not an option. On your workplace, when was the last time you witnessed Sometimes you just have to go right there in your own home. When was the last time you witnessed? Well, you know, they've heard it a million times. 
Drew, my, yeah, my fam, they've heard it from me every time. Keep witnessing. Keep witnessing. I'm not saying go up there and make them mad. I'm saying witness to them in love. If you love somebody and you're concerned about their soul, you'll keep witnessing. A Pentecostal church, which this, this, that's what this is, an assembly of God, Pentecostal church, tongue-talking church, it's a soul-winning church. It's a soul-winning church. Again, Acts 1 and 8. But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witness unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea, all Judea, and in Samaria, uh, Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. We've received this power. God's given us this power. He gave us this commission, but he gives us power to carry this out through the Holy Spirit. The purpose of being Pentecostal and baptized in the Holy Ghost is not just so we can speak in tongues. I'm sorry, that makes this kind of distinctive. When somebody hears that, that first thing, they're like, oh, what are they doing? That's not the purpose of being Pentecost. The purpose of being Pentecost and baptized in the Holy Spirit is not so we can wave our arms and show everyone how spiritual we are. How we shout, how we roll around, how we just do crazy things in here. The purpose of being Pentecostal and baptized in the Holy Spirit is to be empowered to make more disciples for Jesus. Hallelujah. The Great Commission is about worship and it's about obedience, but it's also about instruction. Teach. I touched on it already. Teach new disciples. Teach new disciples. I've gotten trouble over the years over and over and over because I'd hang out and try to teach somebody and get accused. Well, you're helping that one. You're helping this one. I'm trying to teach a disciple. I'm not going and hanging out in the bars with them. Don't get me wrong. I'm not doing that kind of stuff. What I'm doing is trying to teach someone and someone else, supposedly Christians, are upset because I'm trying to help somebody in need. Lord, help us. Lord, help us. Teach new disciples. The role that Jesus has given us is to be disciple makers. Sister Lois, if you don't mind coming back to the piano, I would appreciate it. The only way to make disciples is to teach them to follow Jesus. You say, well, Drew, you know, they, they come to the altar and they get saved. You know, that God does the work. He's going to take care of everything. Everything's going to be happen right there at the altar. Well, if that's all it took, then, then God would have said, hey, get them to come to church and get them to come to the altar and you're done. He wouldn't have said, make disciples. The only way to make disciples is to teach them to follow Jesus. Jesus said, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I've given you. That's what he's saying in these scriptures. Go and teach them and tell them. And my final thought tonight, you think, well, I can't do this. I don't, I'm not sure of myself. I don't, my coworkers are mean or I, you know, whatever the excuse may be because we've all had them. I've had them over my life when I was a young boy. I was invited to do some things for God that I, I turned down because, I, no, I'm, that's not my personality. It's not me. Remember, the will of God will never call you where the grace of God cannot keep you. Would you stand with me? We see where God's called us into this through the scriptures. The Great Commission, 
And because he's called us through that, he's going to empower us to do it. He's going to give us that strength to do it. Give us that boldness. When they were filled with the Holy Ghost, that's what they got. Boldness. Preacher, uh, uh, Peter got up and started preaching boldly. Before, he was just a kind of a hothead. And now he's a preacher and, and telling them about the love of Jesus. This is what we ought to be doing. Boldly. Whether they call you a Christian or a holy roller or whatever they want to call you. I heard one person say, well, I'm in the secret service of the army of the Lord. Nobody knows I'm a Christian. Okay. He may deny you one day too. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word. I ask you, Lord, right now to touch each and every life that's represented here today. I ask you, Lord, that uh, with these simple words, Lord, I give tonight. I ask you, Lord, that we understand the full meaning of your word when you're telling us to go. Lord, you want us to go make disciples. And I ask you, Lord, right now to put a burden on each and every heart in, in this room right now. God, that we'll understand that the Great Commission is what you've called us to. And that we just need to be obedient and accept it. I thank you, Lord, for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.